This episode of Turns Out I'm Into It is brought to you by the Harley Rabbit Audio Playhouse, a virtual club specialising in kink and BDSM audio fantasies. These aren't audiobooks, they're immersive audio experiences that put you in the story, allowing you to explore your deepest, darkest fantasies, all within the privacy of your own headphones. Specialising in CNC and other forms of sexual power play, these stories are not for the faint-hearted. But if you're curious, then follow the Harley Rabbit to harleyrabbit.com. Right now, we're offering listeners of this podcast a 25% discount on a fantasy of your choice. Use the code INTOIT23 at the checkout and see where the rabbit hole takes you. Turns out I'm into it. Into it. Hey, hey there, it is Harley Rabbit here, back with another episode of Turns Out I'm Into It, the show all about helping you discover your kinky self and live your best sex life. I am super excited to do this episode for you guys today. I feel like I say that a lot, but I don't know. I just love doing this podcast and talking about this kind of stuff. But particularly this one, um, last week I did an episode about, it was my first time watching my partner Slade with another woman. Um, And if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and check it out. It's a really good one. But overall, that was a super positive experience. It was really, really fun. And during that episode, it got me onto this topic of open relationships um, and monogamy. And it turns out I'm super passionate about this topic in particular. And I have so much to say about it that I had to cut that episode short and dedicate an entire episode to this topic. And even though I've just spent all morning writing my notes, planning what I wanted to say and realized I've got this massive essay basically of what I want to say, um, I still feel like I haven't even touched the surface. So really looking forward to jumping into this topic today with you guys and um, kicking off this discussion because I think it's a really important one. Before I jump into any of my major points here, I just want to take a minute to define this term toxic monogamy. I want to be clear here. I have no issues with monogamy as a relationship style. I don't think it's toxic in itself um, or even a bad choice for some people. I have close friends and family in very healthy happy monogamous relationships, and that seems to be the right choice for them. So I'm not judging that here. Personally, I don't feel like monogamy really works for me. I've tried it in the past and just found it to be problematic for me. And I'm going to go into detail about why in this episode. Um, But I do feel like there are some really good reasons to choose monogamy. So for some people, love and sex are very interconnected. And therefore, it feels comfortable and natural for you to only want to share sex with that one person that you love. And that's completely okay. For other people, sleeping with one person can feel completely fulfilling and you have no desire to go and have multiple sexual partners. And if that's the case, I completely get that too. Sex can be a lot of work. And if you don't feel like you need to have multiple partners, then that makes sense as well. I'm sure there's lots of reasons why people choose monogamy. Um, It's actually something that I personally would like to learn more about Um, because it doesn't come naturally to me. I find it more difficult to understand 
um, but I want to get to understand it better. So if you're in a happy monogamous relationship, please reach out to me and I'd love to have a chat with you. Toxic monogamy is something very different. When I refer to toxic monogamy, it's I'm really talking about when monogamy is used to, for instance, justify really toxic behavior, controlling jealous behavior in relationships. Um, and I'm going to go into detail about that in a moment. It's also when monogamy is used as an excuse to shut off communication in a relationship and suppress our natural desires. And this kind of thing often creates a lot of feelings of guilt and shame. For example, if you happen to notice somebody who is attractive and your belief system is that you're to be monogamous and faithful, you're not allowed to even notice these things then that can instantly create these feelings of guilt and shame within a person, which is really, really unhealthy. Lastly, I have an issue when monogamy is used as the this champion of romanticism and it claims to be the only true expression of true love, which for me and my experience of love, that is complete bullshit. And I will definitely go on to explain why I think that way. So buckle up, you're in for a treat with this episode. It's probably going to be an extra long one. Um, I apologize for any ranting in advance. I've I've tried to keep that to a minimum in my uh, planning for what I want to say. Um, But hopefully we can have a really interesting discussion about relationship styles and where they can be really healthy and where they can be not so healthy. The first point I want to dive into today is where monogamy is used to normalize toxic behavior. And I think the best way to illustrate this point is to have a bit of a chat about some of the um, TV shows that we have grown up with over the years and how they choose to portray relationships. The best example that came to mind was Friends. So Ross and Rachel, right? Ross and Rachel are arguably the most famous TV show couple of all time. Friends was a massive show and pretty much everyone knows about Ross and Rachel and their on-again, off-again love that goes on throughout the show. But I just want to have a bit of a chat to you about what really happens in the, I don't know how many seasons of Friends there are, there's quite a few, I think, but throughout all the seasons. So if we look at Rachel, the show kicks off episode number one, Rachel has just run out on her wedding. She's decided she doesn't want this life. She doesn't want to marry this, uh, I think he's a dentist. Um, She doesn't want to just marry. She basically was marrying him for his money, I think, and their um, money and status and to have that um, rich housewife kind of life. She decides she doesn't want that. So good on her. She bails on the wedding. Probably not the best thing to do to your partner. Maybe try and work that out before the wedding day. But um. So show kicks off. She's just left, I think, is it Barry, the dentist? Anyway, she's left him at the altar and she goes to Monica's house and she decides that she's going to cut herself off from her dad's money. She doesn't want to be dependent on him anymore and she wants to make it on her own. She starts off by getting a job as a, a waitress and she does that for quite a while in the show. But she regularly expresses that she really wants to work in fashion. That's her dream. Eventually, 
she does get a job in fashion and she is extremely excited about that. And around this time, I think she's with Ross when she gets this job. And instead of being really supportive of her getting this job, Ross actually gets super jealous of the fact that Rachel has a male friend at work. And this causes huge problems in their relationship and is basically what kicks off the whole were we or weren't we on a break saga. In my eyes, probably a bit of a red flag that Ross is not the most supportive, encouraging partner and a super jealous, controlling boyfriend, to be honest. But the show continues and Ross and Rachel are on again, off again throughout. There's lots of crappy behaviour throughout the seasons in their relationship. But where it gets really interesting is the show ends with Rachel landing her dream job in Paris. And in the last episode, she gets on the plane. Or does she get on the plane? She's at the airport going to start her new life in Paris. And in that moment, she decides to give it all up and go home to Ross and be with Ross. And that is apparently the super happy romantic ending to Friends. Yay, they all lived happily ever after together. From what I've seen on that show of Ross and Rachel together, not the healthiest of relationships. Yet this moment of sacrifice where Rachel chooses to give up everything to come home and be with him is somehow interpreted as romantic for us. Just have a think about what that would actually look like in reality for a minute. I'm going to give you another example here. Um, One of my favourite shows, Slade and I watched this so many times, Um, it's The Big Bang Theory. It's one of those shows, you know how you have a show where you just put it on, you know it so well, it's just comfort to watch or listen to. Often we'll listen to it to go to sleep. It's not even that good, but it's so familiar for us. Um, So I am a fan of the show, but there are many things about it that really frustrate me, and this is one of them. So I don't know if you're familiar with Big Bang Theory or not, but basically there's another couple, Leonard and Penny, who are basically Ross and Rachel. The show follows their will-they-won't-they relationship. Um, Again, this is seen as really passionate when in actual fact it probably means these two people are not a very good fit for each other um, and they're actually addicted to their own drama. But, hey, apparently that's what a loving, passionate relationship should look like, according to pop culture. The show is littered with examples of them being really shitty toward each other, but one example particularly stood out to me. Um, There's an episode where Penny, similar to Rachel, she really hates her job. She even works as a waitress. Um, Penny's really unhappy. She wants to have a career. And she, at one point, bumps into her ex-boyfriend, Zach, who is now happily engaged. Um, And Zach has created a successful company and is looking for staff. And they work out that Penny would actually be a perfect fit for this job. Anyway, instead of being excited for her and supportive, Leonard completely freaks out about it. He can't handle the idea of Penny working for her ex-boyfriend. And this way of thinking is reinforced with other characters in the show, which Leonard talks to. Finally, through the episode, Leonard kind of comes around to the idea and realises that he's being super jealous and controlling and 
maybe should be more supportive of what his partner wants to do with her life. Um, He's kind of coming around to that idea. But then the episode ends with Penny calling up Zach on the phone and she wants to accept the job. But Zach then tells her that his fiance was completely outraged by the idea of him hiring an ex. Because, of course, everybody is that insecure in their relationship that this kind of shit is completely justified. I really felt like in that episode, they could have done something very different. They could have shown Leonard's growth as he was realizing that his behavior was based in jealousy and that he wanted to put his insecurities aside in favor of supporting his partner in her career. But instead they chose to end the episode with showing that that behavior was completely justified because Zach's partner felt the same way as well. So this is again, really normalizing possessive, jealous and controlling behavior in relationships, AKA what I call toxic monogamy. And it's not just in TV. This stuff is everywhere. So even in my own life, um, an ex-partner of mine, we were monogamous, had been together for a number of years, had a lot of problems in our relationship. And I remember at one point he decided that I couldn't be friends with any other guys. I wasn't allowed to have any other male friends because he, he felt jealous and he couldn't handle that jealousy. Even though to me now that request seems absurd and is so obviously grounded in his own insecurities. At the time, it felt like a normal thing for a boyfriend to ask. And a lot of people would accept that and do that for their partner. In fact, I had the exact that opposite happened to me where like I was on the other end of it. I had a, um, a male friend who I'd been friends with for years. He was a very close friend and um, we never slept together. We had played a little bit together once, um, but either way, I don't think that matters. We definitely weren't involved in any way at the time. And he got a new girlfriend and when I texted him, I got a response from him, his girlfriend on his phone explaining to me why I was not allowed to ever contact him again. And the worst part was some of my friends thought that was justified. They were like, yeah, but you guys have had history. So of course that's not okay for you guys to still be friends. I'm like, for fuck's sake, we're adults. I don't think a partner gets to dictate who you can and can't be friends with. That's controlling, right? Hopefully you can understand that my issue here isn't with monogamy itself. It's when monogamy is used to justify this jealousy and this controlling behavior, which is then normalized or even romanticized by our culture. Forcing your partner to isolate themselves from their friends because of your own jealousy is not okay. And guilting your partner to pass up on a career opportunity because of your own insecurities is not romantic. It's toxic. Yet many people would see this as completely normal. Which brings me to my next point. This is about the implications of this kind of toxic behavior. The reason where I think monogamy becomes most problematic is because it's the default relationship style. When we decide to be in a relationship, there's actually no discussion around what each person's needs and boundaries are. Instead, we're just expected to 
be monogamous because that's what people do. That's the default. But as we know, human beings are very complex and unique individuals and this one-size-fits-all approach rarely works for anything. Yet pretty much everyone in Western society is expected to conform to monogamy with no questions asked, no discussion. In fact, by even asking a question that might hint that you might want to venture outside the walls of monogamy, the very act of asking that question itself can feel like a deep insult to your partner. So there's no opportunity to discuss this. And for me, that is another red flag. Anything that limits our ability to communicate with one another is toxic to me. The very act of even noticing that a person is attractive, whether it's a waitress that's serving you or someone you see up the street or, I don't know, a friend that you haven't seen for a while, if you notice that they're attractive, you've basically committed a crime against love. That's how a lot of people would see that. You're not allowed to be attracted to anybody else except for your partner. But the only problem with that is that we are. We can't help it. We're animals. It's in our nature to notice attractive people. But instead of being able to talk about that with our partners, we have to feel guilty and shameful and suppress those desires immediately for fear of them somehow taking us over and and destroying our relationship. For this reason, most monogamous couples never, ever bring this up if they find somebody else attractive. You keep that shit buried and keep it a secret from your partner. Because if you ever talked about it, they might feel threatened and overcome by jealousy. Does that sound healthy to you? Because to me, it sounds completely bananas. Slade and I have an open relationship and we've been very clear from the start that we would be open and honest with each other about any feelings of attraction and desire and also any feelings of jealousy. For us, we feel that it's better to, instead of trying to control each other's desires and um, force each other to only have eyes for each other, we've chosen to embrace those desires and the joy of our own sexuality. And we share that with each other. Every morning, Slade and I go for a walk on the beach. It's very cute. We hold hands and uh, drink our coffees in our little keep cups. And often when we're walking, there's it's quite a busy beach. Lots of people are out in the morning um, exercising. And often on our walks, we will point out people to each other. So I might say, hey, Slade, yoga pants, nine o'clock. And he might say, hey, Harley, shirtless silver fox just up ahead. And we do this because it's fun. There's no nothing threatening about it. Neither of us needs to feel threatened by our partner finding someone else attractive. It's normal. It's okay. But if we do find ourselves feeling threatened, we talk about it. We approach those feelings of jealousy with curiosity and we try and find that underlying insecurity because it's always insecurity underneath. So for example, I might say I'm feeling jealous because the, that girl you noticed was really small and skinny and I'm feeling really insecure about my body at the moment. Saying something like that then invites communication. It allows me to 
express something that I'm really struggling with at the time and that I might need some extra support with. And it allows Slade to understand what that is and be more sensitive to that need. It's not easy to do this by any stretch. Um, Jealousy is a really strong emotion and it can be extremely difficult to control those feelings, especially to try and control them enough to talk about them rationally. And we don't always get it right the first time either, but it is worth it. It is worth fighting hard to have that communication with your partner. But most people in our society subscribe to this idea of if I'm feeling jealous, my partner must have done something wrong. And those kinds of conversations are very different. They are very closed and filled with self-righteous anger. These conversations do not invite growth or understanding or promote connection between two people. They do the opposite. And the worst part is most people don't even realize that this is unhealthy because it's they're just acting out what is normalized in society. Things they've seen on shows like Friends or The Big Bang Theory. It's crazy how much influence pop culture really does have on us. So the next time you're feeling jealous, I really encourage you to try and understand why you're feeling jealous. It's probably an insecurity that's there. And that's what you should be talking to your partner about. Earlier, I said that one of the biggest problems with monogamy is that it's the default relationship style. And what I mean by that, where I think this is problematic is when it's the default, there's no reason to talk about it. So two people decide to be together and they're monogamous because of course you are. That's what you do. So then you never have the opportunity to actually discuss what relationship style works for you both. Do you want to be monogamous for a start? Maybe you prefer to be open. Maybe you want to be polyamorous. You know, monogamy isn't the only option. And if you do want to be monogamous, what does that look like to you? And why is it important to you? Is sex and love part of the same thing to you or are they separate? What do you need in a relationship to feel secure? All of these questions are the questions that we should be asking when we enter a relationship. To discuss where each other's values and boundaries are. Yet we have one default. And no questions asked, one size fits all relationship style. And we, most of us never get to have conversations like this. This brings me to my last point. And I'm sorry if this episode sounds like a bit of a rant, but as I said in the intro, I'm pretty passionate about this and I get very frustrated by how unwilling the world is to discuss other options than monogamy and how judgmental the world is towards other relationship styles. So the last thing I want to talk about today is where does all this come from and what does it have to do with true love? Recently, I've been reading this book called The Course of Love by Alan de Botton. And it's a great read. I definitely recommend it. It's one of those books that I feel like we should have all been reading in high school because it's funny how, you know, we're taught textiles and home ec and woodwork and things that are meant to be life skills but we're never ever taught anything about relationships and what's healthy and how to maintain them what's normal where those skills we just have to figure out on our own and 
Most of us aren't very good at that. Probably because we've got our parents to look to um, to understand what's normal and healthy in a relationship. And unfortunately, our parents aren't always the best teachers on this subject. Anyway, highly recommend reading this book if you're interested in um, particularly in long term relationships, maintaining a healthy relationship over a long time. Um, But I came across this quote, which I'll read to you now. In the West, we owe to Christianity the view that sex should only ever rightly occur in the presence of love. The religion insists that two people who care for each other must rightly reserve their bodies and their gaze for each other alone. And he goes on to say, In the secular world too, monogamy has been declared a necessary and crowning expression of emotional commitment and virtue. Our age has strikingly maintained the essential drift of an earlier religious position, the belief that true love must entail wholehearted sexual fidelity. So have a think about that one for a minute. I'm not 100% sure about this, but as far as I can tell from this book and from other research that I've done, monogamy in the West seems to have its roots in Christianity which I think is interesting because in the modern world, there are many proud atheists that are very committed to monogamy and may not have considered that this was once a very Christian belief system. I want to talk about the last line in this quote particularly. The belief that true love must entail wholehearted sexual fidelity. I would argue something very different here. Again, if sexual fidelity is important to you, then no judgment from me. As I said, monogamy can be very healthy when it's when two people choose to be in that for the right reasons, the reasons that work for them. But I absolutely do not believe that sexual fidelity is inherent to true love, not in the slightest. Last week, on last week's episode, I talked about this analogy of a caged bird And in that analogy, basically, the only way you know if a caged bird is truly yours is if you set it free and it comes back to you. This is how I feel about open relationships. For me, the only way I know my partner truly wants to be with me and stay with me is if they are free to be with anybody else and they choose to come back to me. There's no restriction placed on our relationship. There's nothing holding them telling them, guilting them that they must be with me and only me and stay with me, that feels possessive to me. I want my partner to feel free to explore and enjoy and if they choose to be with me with that freedom, that's how I feel secure. That's how I feel like they love me. One of the hardest things that Slade and I discovered very early on in our relationship is the risk that One of us might be with someone else and decide that we like them better and we want to be with them. That's a terrifying thought for anyone in a relationship to have your partner decide to be with somebody else. But we talked about this and we both decided that for us, truly loving each other means wanting each other to be happy, even if that means they'd be happier with someone else. So if Slade found a woman who made him feel happier, more fulfilled, more loved than I can, then who would I be really if I was to try and stop him from having that? 
if I love him, I want what's best for him. And if that's not me, then that's how it is. I'm not saying that that's not, that wouldn't be completely fucking devastating um, if it happened, but it's also for us, at least the only thing that seems to make sense. That is love in my opinion, knowing that we both choose to be with each other and stay with each other when there's no other limitation put on our relationship. That's what makes me feel so secure. And when I watched him fuck another woman in front of me the other week, I didn't feel threatened, not in the slightest. I felt so incredibly proud of our relationship and the trust we have in each other and the freedom that we've given each other. I love and trust him enough to not feel threatened at all by the idea of him having sex with somebody else. Our relationship is way deeper than that. That's how I feel anyway. It's probably a minority opinion, but that's what's real for me in my experience and my feelings. An open relationship is the only way that I feel secure. Anyway, I feel like this episode is already way longer than most of them are. So I'm going to leave it here. Um, But just in summary, I really hope that me in me sharing some of my views on this will at least encourage you to do some introspection into what you really value in a relationship. What makes you feel secure? What do you want for yourself and your partner? And hopefully by doing this introspection, you might be able to better understand which relationship style is best for you, whether that's monogamy, polyamory, open relationship. I'm sure there's a million more different types. These are just very, even through by giving them these labels, I think you're um, doing a bit of a disservice because everybody's relationship is different and that's okay. You just, the point is you need to work out what works for you and not just go with the default because it's the default. Hopefully you can see by now why that's problematic. The other takeaway that I really hope you've got from this episode is that if you can approach your feelings of jealousy with curiosity instead of just being jealous and enraged and upset, if you can try and separate yourself a little bit from that emotion and be curious about what insecurity might be fueling that jealousy. If you can do that, I know it's hard, but if you can do that, I promise you it is so worth it. You will have so much more insight into your own feelings and your relationships will be so much healthier and more secure because of it. Because you'll be able to communicate those things and get those needs met. If we feel insecure, it's usually because there's an unmet need there. Okay? Hopefully you've found some value in this episode. Hopefully I didn't rant too much or offend too many people. Um, But this is how I honestly feel. And I really wanted to share that with you guys. Would love to hear what you think. So please hit me up, send me a message on FetLife or through the Harley Rabbit website. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I might do, I've been getting a couple of messages from, from listeners and, um, I might do a, an upcoming Q and a episode maybe in, uh, in the next couple of weeks, um, answering some of the questions that I've got from you guys. So looking forward to that one. Um, 
as always, till next time, play safe, have fun, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Turns out I'm into it. Into it. Into it. Thanks for listening to Turns Out I'm Into It. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to hit subscribe and leave a rating and review. This will help other people just like you to find this podcast. If you have any comments or questions, you can reach out to me on FetLife or through the Harley Rabbit website. My name on Fet is Harley Rabbit, or one word, or you can message me direct through the website. Go to harleyrabbit.com forward slash podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show. I will be back soon with another episode exploring the wonderful world of kink. Turns out.